Hi, I'm Jimmy Correa, and thank you for listening to Conversations Between Addicts. Some of the most meaningful conversations I've had with people outside of my family were with people that had been where I'd been and had felt what I'd felt. It was raw, honest conversations that came after a 12-step meeting where buckets of tears were shed, or during the week when I called a friend because I needed help sorting through the mess in my head. They were the conversations where I wasn't trying to impress anyone, and I knew that they didn't judge me for all the stupid things that I'd done. This is what Conversations Between Addicts is about. I hope that as you listen, you will be inspired with hope for a brighter future and open up to someone that you can trust in full honesty. This is not a recovery program or any kind of replacement for professional help. As difficult as it may be, recovery really begins when you get real, fully honest with yourself and God. I urge you, if your life is being overtaken with addiction, get help. Talk with a family member, church leader, or colleague that you can trust. Go to a therapist or counselor. Get the help that you need. Real recovery from addiction doesn't happen alone in isolation. I know you can be free and feel the full joy that comes with that freedom. Most of all, I want you to know that you're not alone in this. We really are all together. So reach out, speak up, and let's help each other out so that we can enjoy that, that joy and freedom that comes from recovery from addiction. All right, welcome to this podcast today. I am excited to uh, have as a guest um, uh, an old friend from about 16 years ago. We were at a snow college together, Jed Anderson. Uh, he is passionate about helping those stuck in addiction as well as their spouses or loved ones who are struggling with betrayal trauma. For Jed, the greatest reward as a therapist is seeing people find hope and peace through recovery and through healing the the attach, attachments with self, God, spouse, and others. Jed received his master's degree in mental health counseling from Argosy University. Did I, did I say that right? Argosy? Um, Argosy, yeah. <laughs> Argosy University in Draper, Utah. His undergraduate schooling was completed in 2003 at UVU, where he majored in behavioral science and business management. In addition to working with people who struggle with sexual addiction, Jed has worked with children and teens in foster and adoptive care who are struggling to overcome attachment issues. Jed's favorite thing to do include golf, basketball, camping, and cheering on his favorite sports teams. He loves being a husband to a wonderful wife and a father of four great kids. So there's your bio. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to meet with uh, me on this podcast and, I know it took us a little while to get connected. Actually, it was uh, probably almost two years ago when I I found out that you were a therapist. Okay. Ran into your mom. So it's been Hmm. almost two years in in the making to do this. So I'm I'm glad to finally get here. Yeah, I'm glad we got connected. Yeah. That's awesome. So, Jed, um, tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, maybe your – why you do what you do as a – uh, counselor and um, what you're passionate about helping people with. Sure. Yeah. So um, I grew up in a small town in central Utah called Richfield and, and uh, grew up with a, in a great family. Um, 
And my dad was a bishop when I was a young kid. And um, I kind of grew up always wanting to be a good kid myself. Um, and um, for the most part, I, I feel like I succeeded at that. I, I uh, kind of was naturally wanted to be um, obedient and uh, to do good things. And the one exception to that was uh, when I would run across pornography or be exposed to it. I, um, I struggled to be honest with my parents about it. I was uh, dealing with what I now know is shame. And at the time didn't really realize what shame even was. And um, just thought, you know, it's better to kind of keep this to myself and mm-hmm. um, minimize or omit uh, things if I do talk about it. Um, so I think, uh, you know, the beginnings of uh, an addiction uh, probably started back when I was a young, a young boy, and uh, had some experiences with, you know, pornography exposure and other things, and, um, you know, kind of survived that whole time of my life and and made it through with, you know, minimal um, trouble mm-hmm. and uh, acting out behavior, but at the same time, the roots and the the seeds of addiction were there, mm-hmm. and. Um, when I got home from my mission, uh, it was uh, the year 2000, the internet was getting faster and, um, you know, I got, uh, exposed to pornography again really quick right after that. And, um, it was one of those things where I didn't ever really think about it as an addiction, uh, looking back on it. Um, you know, it was certainly growing into that, but, uh, I found my wife and got married pretty quick after my mission. And, uh, I felt like I had a pretty good handle on things. I hadn't um, had any relapses for probably nine months by the time we got married. And Mm -hmm. I felt like it was something that was in my past. Um, But, uh, you know, it came back up later when I got my own computer, had internet access and and free time. And uh, it was one of those things I kept battling on and off for the first know, six, seven years of our marriage where I felt like I would have victories and I was in the right track. And it was just something that, uh, I would struggle with occasionally to, um, at one point with a really stressful job I had, um, it became what I now view as, um, a full blown addiction. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the double life was just taking a huge toll on me emotionally and spiritually. Um, and uh, it was it was just miserable, and uh, so I kept trying a lot of things on my own, and uh, would uh, not completely hide the addiction. I, I tried to come out and talk about it with my bishops or my wife or whoever, but never really coming completely clean about what was going on. Mm-hmm. Just too much shame involved, and so at one point, you know, I decided I was either gonna get some professional help or I was just going to have to give up and realize that, you know, it was kind of hopeless. So I tried the counseling approach and um, the first counsel I tried didn't specialize and it didn't go that great. I had three sessions and kind of quit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then about six months later, I was, I feel like God led me to a different therapist that was really great. She did specialize in sexual addiction and it was just life changing. You know, I, 
I can't say no other words that would describe it other than that. She, she knew exactly how to help me. She knew um, how to engage with my wife because no one had ever brought my wife into hmm. recovery before. And um, yeah. that was a huge missing piece. Yeah. Um, anyway, from that experience, uh, about six months into recovery, I decided that it would be uh, a great career to actually do counseling. I had that background in behavioral sciences in my studies and I'd always been intrigued by psychology and what makes people do what they do. And mm -hmm. so I decided to go ahead and get my master's degree and, um, long story short, I've been in private practice now for about four and a half years. And I have a website called LDS hope and recovery. Mm -hmm. and, um, it's basically making, um, recovery with professional help available to people no matter where they live we we meet online <clears throat> using high definition video conferencing mm -hmm. and um, so i've had clients as far away as germany I had a, uh, a a guy in the army and he was actually deployed to afghanistan while we were working and mm. he had high speed internet on the base and so we were able to actually wow. do sessions i was in utah he was in in Afghanistan, his wife was in Germany on a base there, and we did couples counseling. <laughs> so it was, wow. was kind of crazy, um, but it worked. And a lot of people just don't live close enough to a counselor to be able to to go in person. And so we call our work coaching uh, since mm -hmm. it's online. But you know, they're working with a someone who's licensed as a counselor, and uh, it really has been a great fit for me and for what I want to do to help people. Oh, that's cool. And uh, so tell me a little more about, because the, the experience you talked about having, uh, you know, one counselor and it didn't quite work, and then the next one it was life-changing is what you said, life-changing. Mm -hmm. What do you think makes that difference? Because um, I, you know, I, I had that experience where one counselor didn't really do it, and then another counselor, yeah, it was life-changing. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about a lot of the guys that I've talked with, you know, in 12-step meetings and stuff. And, and I tell them about the great experience I had with this certain counselor, the great experience I had with this certain program that, that cost money. And mm -hmm. so many of them were just like, ah, I can't do that. I can't afford it. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. how, do you, how do you help someone to understand the difference and, and the, the power in having someone that specializes? I think – the big difference maker is working with someone that specializes, that sees people day in and day out that are struggling with this addiction. So, so that they get enough experience and see enough that they, that nothing really is going to be surprising them that they won't get into a situation where they just go back to a generic answer, you know, that they've got a specific answer with any you know, anything that comes up within recovery. Um, the first therapist I went to, it just seemed like had some generic ideas about, you know, how to be more in tune emotionally or how to, you know, try to, you know, change behaviors. And it's not like they were bad ideas. It was just, um, it wasn't specialized enough to where I just didn't feel like he had that insight into my heart and my head where this other therapist before the first session was even over, I was like, 
this lady, she knows how to help me. And I felt the confidence in recovery that I'd never really felt before. Um, even within the first hour and a half of talking to her, like I was confident that if I just stuck with it long enough and did the things that she asked me to do, that I was going to make it. Mm. And that was, that was a big part of it is just the confidence I felt talking to someone who specialized versus other people who always meant well, who had ideas that were good, you know, bishops, same thing. They, they always have great intentions and, and some good ideas. It just, I had never felt that Hmm. like someone emanating that confidence like I did with her. So. Yeah. I love that idea because it, it kind of feels like to me that I think of a, you know, a true mentor um, is someone that believes in you more than you believe in yourself. Mm. And, and I can see how powerful that would be, especially when someone's feeling so hopeless mm-hmm. to have someone actually go, yeah, you, you can make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not, not just, not just saying it, but actually believing it and emanating that. Yeah. And someone who's just straight up honest with you, you know, I, I do the same thing that she did for me in the beginning. I tell people that if they're expecting to overcome an addiction that's been part of their life for over a decade, and sometimes it's two decades, if they expect to overcome an addiction like that in three or four sessions, that that's not realistic. You know, it's going to take um, a significant amount of time and energy and effort <clears throat> and probably years of uh, of continuing to build on the foundation that they get through counseling to to really overcome and turn what is a weakness into a strength. It's, mm-hmm. it's going to take time. So what do you think is at the root of uh, most people's sexual addiction, pornography addiction, whatever? Um, what, what do you think really keeps people stuck? Yeah. Um, I think it's gotta be, you know, one of the biggest things is shame. Just the fact that, uh, there's so much toxic shame tied to, um, to this behavior culturally, you know, even in our religion, it's, uh, it's not uncommon to feel like, man, if people really knew the things I've done or the things I've participated in with pornography or whatever else that, they wouldn't love me. And um, obviously as human beings, we're usually not going to risk <clears throat> losing the opportunity to be loved, um, especially long-term. <clears throat> so if we can, if we buy into that fear, um, a lot of times it'll keep us from being transparent about what's going on. And just like if you went to the doctor and had a broken bone but they couldn't take an x-ray or do an MRI to see what was going on. It's going to be pretty hard to heal that. Um, mm. So in a way being transparent is kind of like if you were to go under and have a CAT scan and they could, you know, take millimeter slices of your brain and see exactly where the problem was and what was going on mm. uh, without transparency. It's pretty hard to, to find any recovery that's meaningful. Mm. Maybe that's why that's uh, has something to do with step one. Is that mm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yep. Yeah, but but that's the the hardest thing, and and I like what you said. It's it's 
a lot of it feels like it's rooted in fear of uh, you know being rejected, of being um, judged for whatever reason. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's a tough thing. So how do you how do you overcome that? How do you get past it? What's the miracle drug? <laughs> good question. I think in a way, um, in my experience and watching a lot of others, you have to almost get to a point where, um, where you see coming down the pipe um, the devastation and loss that's, that's coming your way if you don't figure it out. And choosing to, at that point, take the reality for what it is and allow yourself to feel that rock bottom um, because if you don't if you don't see it, that coming and accept it for what is coming you're going to have to live that rock bottom and that might mean you know losing losing your family losing your marriage and it's not that people can't recover at that point um, I, I do think it's possible to feel the effects of a rock bottom before before it totally devastates your life though, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and, and that's an interesting thing too, because I've, I've kind of had similar thoughts that, you know, you, you hear about all the recovery stories and it talks about rock bottom, rock bottom, like that that's an essential part yet. I don't know if I totally agree that you have to go that far mm, before yeah. you can recover. Like, is that kind of what you're saying? Or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, in, in my experience, um, I always was conscious of the fact that uh, I would never actually commit adultery, that I would never cross the line with a physical person. And mm-hmm. I was very committed to that. I mean, I, my standards and my values told me that that was uh, extremely, you know, mm-hmm. um, far down the line. And I committed, I'd never reached that point. But at at some point, addiction is always progressive in nature. And at some point, I was realizing that within a certain period of time in my future, I didn't know if that was a year, five years, or 10 years, or heaven forbid, you know, five, six months, that that would be the progression my addiction would end up taking. Because I could feel the the addiction morphing inside of my brain and my heart to where it was just, it was moving in that direction and it scared me to death. Um, you know, I, I didn't, um, I didn't want to have to feel the effects of that, um, of that behavior, you know, of actually having an affair. Mm -hmm. So I think, just sitting in that and thinking about it and, and letting it impact my heart. The fact that that was probably coming um, really motivated me to, to look for help where in the past I, I had always kind of thought, well, this isn't that big a deal. It's not really hurting anyone, but me, I haven't involved another actual person that I know. And, um, kind of had justified, rationalized with those ideas. Um, And I guess that kept some of the pain at bay. But when I allowed myself to see the reality of what was coming, it really shook me and uh, motivated me to do something. Mm. 
Yeah, which which can be a challenge to do because when you're caught in that addiction, it uh, you know you're you're in a fog. Mm-hmm. You're not thinking clearly. You're not you're not thinking about natural consequences. You know, mm-hmm. and yeah. So I I I can see again the value in having a uh, an experienced counselor that can help you see that. Mm-hmm. Um, or or a, a mentor, whoever, someone that can help you help you through that. So mm-hmm. I guess that's another side of it that I see is is the isolation, thinking I can do this on my own. Mm-hmm. What would you say to 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 that lie of people? You know, oh, I, I can just quietly take care of this on my own. Yeah. Um. Well, I guess it doesn't become a lie until you've told you that told yourself that multiple times and you keep coming back to the same result. Um, I think there are people who have said, you know what? I don't want this in my life. I'm not going to touch it again. And they make that firm commitment and resolve and, and they do it, you know, they figure it out. Mm-hmm. But for someone who's told themselves that many times and they find themselves um, sitting there in the toxic shame of a relapse again, and it's happened a lot, then, then it does become a deception because if you could overcome it on your own, you would have by now. Um, you wouldn't keep doing this thing that brings pain and shame and heartache into your life if you could overcome it on your own. And so at that point, you know, step one has to come into play where you say, I'm powerless, you know, I can't do this on my own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. I like that. And uh, so, tell me a little bit about how good how good does it get? Like you've you've seen people in in your practice in the last few years that mm-hmm. have that have you know essentially beat this. They feel like they've overcome it. They feel like they're in a much better place. Mm-hmm. What does that What does that look like? What does that feel like? Well, I I always go back to the 12 promises that are part of the 12-step program. They're not as talked about in SA like they are in in like Alcoholics Anonymous or other places. Yeah, I was going to say, I haven't heard it put that way before of 12 promises. Yeah, Yeah, they're actually on pages 83 and 84 of the big book. So the AA, the big book they call. Mm -hmm. Yeah. they're just statements of, uh, of truth as far as what um, people in recovery have seen in their own life and in others' lives who stick with recovery long enough to let the fruit of their effort come to bear. And so there's just 12 promises that go along with it. I, um, you know, people can Google that easily if they want to read exactly what they are. But, you know, one of them is we will know peace. Um, to me, that's one of the sweetest fruits of recovery is peace and serenity, not having to worry about the next time you might have to lie or you might get caught or, you know, you might feel guilty because you're supposed to do something with your family or in the church. And you just, there's not very much peace that comes with addiction. And I don't think there's a counterfeit for peace either. I, 
I don't think Satan has come up with a counterfeit yet for peace and serenity. He's mm. the only thing he's got that's maybe a counterfeit for it is numb, but that's <laughs> that's a pretty weak counterfeit compared to peace and serenity. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean that that stands out as one of the top promises that I see coming into people's lives and that I've felt. Um, also just the, the idea that you don't regret the past or wish to shut the door on it is uh, promise number two. And um, that takes a while, you know, in the beginning you're like, man, I don't want anybody to know that I've struggled with this. I hope no one ever finds out. I just want to get over it and be done and never look back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but <laughs> pretty soon you realize, man, I, I'm actually grateful that I had the opportunity to, to need God so much in my life, you know, cause nothing had driven me to the atonement like this did um, mm-hmm. before. And I don't think that my relationship with the atonement would be, would have the same depth that it does have had I not experienced that extreme need for the atonement. You know, I, I really couldn't do it on my own. I tried everything I could think of. And, um, so relying fully on God's graces and the atonement was, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give up that experience really for anything. So, um, and you know, then just the fruit of having a healthy marriage, uh, I think going through recovery with your spouse is super important because you learn a lot of things just about relationships that's, that makes your life and relationship much happier and healthier. Mm. So, yeah. Oh, well, I love it. And I, and you think about, I think about all the guys that I, I see in these meetings and, and how, how we would just give anything, have those promises that you just talked about, that peace, that, mm-hmm. uh, having a happy marriage, having that, serenity and and it is interesting that we when we're early in the recovery we just want this magic fix like Mm -hmm. let's do three sessions of counseling or maybe if i go through all 12 steps of the 12 you know 12 meetings 12 steps i'll be graduated and done and Mm -hmm. um and like you said you know if 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 we've been in this addiction for years or decades I don't think it's something that just goes away quick. It takes effort. It takes uh, mm-hmm. commitment. and uh, mm-hmm. But it is possible. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's the great news is that recovery is possible. I, I can't imagine a world without the hope of uh, being delivered from bondage because you look around us in today's world and there's just so many forms that bondage takes in people's lives. And mm-hmm. if it weren't possible to, to be delivered from bondage, that would be very, it would be hopeless. And we would, we would not have very much happiness in our lives. I don't think. Yeah. Isn't it awesome that we have that, that hope. Mm-hmm. And, and so for anyone that's listening, I, I hope that you feel that and know that, that there is hope that uh, recovery is possible 
that there are those who have, you know, gone through the throes of it and they've come out on top and I'm grateful to have Jed here as an example and, and, uh, and just appreciate the work you're doing, the people you're helping, the families that you're saving. Uh, I think it's awesome. Yeah. So tell, tell if someone was, is listening and they, and they feel a connection with you, they want to connect with you, uh, how would they get in contact with you? Um, the easiest way is just on our website. Um, there's myself and uh, three other therapists that um, we all work with, you know, people that are struggling with this addiction and with their wives who are feeling the effects of what we call betrayal trauma. Mm-hmm. And our website is ldshopeandrecovery.com. Mm-hmm. Um, they can find us there. and <coughs> Excuse me. They can also find other things to read and look at and consider just there's some resources there that are free to, to take a look at and consider. And we work with bishops too. If someone maybe is struggling to, to have enough financial means to, to get into counseling or coaching and, mm-hmm. and they need help. We, we've got a pretty good relationship with a lot of bishops and our pricing is about the same as LDS family services. So mm-hmm. there are a lot of people that ends up working out where they can either afford it or they can find help from an ecclesiastical leader. And, you know, we're, we're happy to help anyone that is in that situation, ready to start working and, and uh, start taking it a day at a time, but, you know, moving one step further down the road each day. Mm. And that, that reminds me of something a good friend of me, a good friend of mine told me once after a 12 step meeting, we were having a conversation and I was basically having a pity party telling him all the things that why I, I couldn't do this or I couldn't do that. And he just kind of stopped me. He said, Jimmy, do whatever it takes. It doesn't matter. Do whatever it takes. And mm. you know, if, like, I, I'm glad you brought that up. Hey, if, if you don't feel like you can afford a counselor, Talk to your bishop. See, um, there, there's options out there to get the help you need, mm-hmm. and and I don't don't allow those excuses, those lies to say, oh, it's too expensive, it's too this, it's not going to work, and then I'll be wasted money. Just put that aside. Trust mm-hmm. in the Lord. Find someone that can help you. Yep. There's a lot of people that want to help you. So, awesome. Yeah, that's right. Gosh, thank you, Jed. I'm so glad that we were able to connect and you're able to share some of your insights. Uh, I loved hearing your story. It gives me hope. It gives me strength. Um, I'll leave you with the last word. What would you, what would you say in, in parting? Oh, sure. Um, I guess maybe the most important thing is uh, to just hold on to hope. You know, if if you're beginning recovery and it feels like it's it's something that's too big um and you're never going to make it um part of that is true this is this is bigger than any one person you got to have a lot of support and you got to have a lot of uh people who know their way through recovery to be there the great thing is there's lots of those people if you're willing to reach forward your hand and grab theirs <clears throat> they're going to be there and they'll support and lift you and then 
like it says in step 12, um, that'll full, come full circle someday. You'll be, you'll be that person who's ready to reach the hand back and help someone else. So, so don't believe the, <clears throat> don't believe the shame message that tells you that you would be wasting someone's time or that people wouldn't have the resources to help you because in reality, you're helping someone else live step 12 when you reach out for their help and people appreciate the opportunity to help. So um, just take the steps and, you know, do today what you need to do and let tomorrow take care of itself. But today take action and, and uh, you'll start to, to feel better right away. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jed. Yeah. And uh, We'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Thanks, Jimmy. All the best. Hi, this is Jimmy Correa. I'm the host of Conversations Between Addicts. Thank you so much for joining us, and I hope that you'll visit us at our website, www.jimmyandshelly.com. It's J-I-M-M-Y-A-N-D-S-H-E-L-L-Y where you can find out more about me or my wife, Shelly, and here are some of the things that we enjoy doing. Most of all, I hope that you will share this podcast with someone else. My experience has been that every family is hit with some kind of addiction, depression, some kind of a big challenge like that, and it really takes having an open, honest conversation to strengthen and build relationships. I know that that's been a huge blessing in my life, And I hope that you will reach out and start those conversations with someone else because it's hard to start sometimes. Most of all, I hope that you remember that there are people out there that need to have those conversations with you. They need to hear honest, open, heartfelt feelings and know that they're cared about. Really and truly, there are people depending on you. So go out and share. Go out and talk with them. Thanks and we'll see you next time.